get started with this session here this, this afternoon. Just uh, before we start, could we just simply uh, pause for just a, just a brief word of prayer here? Let's pray. Father, I thank you this afternoon for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love for us and for the fact that you have, you have put a part of you inside of us. And I thank you for all of the things that you give us as your children. This afternoon, I'm grateful for the ability to feel, to be able to take love in, to give love out, and uh, just ask that you would just direct this, this time and give you praise and glory and honor. Amen. Well, I uh, am much, 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 much more comfortable in a small room with your faces really close, and it's really hard to see you up here. I'm, I'm a one-on-one -on -one kind of a guy, so when I speak, I like to see your eyeballs, and I'm guessing here this afternoon, but that's okay. Um, I'll just pretend you're all happy. And I'd like to just uh, begin. This is supposed to be a subject about uh, resolving issues in your spouse's heart, and Sometimes I think, um, as counselors in, in my life, um, we get so focused on other things and other people that, that we, kind of, we kind of let our own relationship kind of float a little bit. And today I would just like to kind of, again, weave my story into a little bit of uh, what I'd like to share with you. I've shared this before, um, but I'd like to just begin by just introducing my family. I'd like to... Uh, tell you that I've uh, been married to the same woman for 34 years. I have five children, two girls on the top and two girls on the bottom and a boy in the center and I'm privileged to have one of those children married so that's why there's two boys up there. But I'd like to just leave that slide there for a bit as I tell you a little bit about uh, the two people in the middle. I believe that um, after listening to John for six, seven years that uh, John would probably um, define my relationship with April as an evil for evil relationship. Um, I'm not proud to say that, but uh, I have to be honest. And it's not always easy to resolve issues in that kind of a relationship where two hearts are 90% rejected, 90% dominant, 90% hostile, and they're married to each other. There were some tense moments in our relationship, and if I'm honest, there still are some tense moments in our relationship. But we have tools to work with, and I'd just like to kind of share some of those today, but I'd like to begin by telling you that I didn't understand 34 years ago, 1977 I think was the year, when two damaged hearts walked down the aisle, actually one walked down the aisle, one was standing in the front, one was named Mr. Shame, the other one was named Miss Neglect. And we stood in front of 400 people, and we said, for better or for worse, through sickness and pain, I will. You have to understand something about my heart, and I'll let April tell about her heart a little later on in this, in this seminar. But my heart was always, always had the concept that I was the bad guy out. I was always the first guy out of a line of 10. If you lined up 10 people in a row, I was always the guilty one that had to prove himself innocent. And that had to do with my own emotional damage. That was a difficult life to always have to prove myself. 
although I think I, I thought I fared fairly well in that, in that proposition. And two years ago, actually a year ago, and just, just not even a year ago, in February, I was asked to give a talk similar to this at a director's retreat in uh, Kansas. And John called me, and in the middle of that, I was in one of those disconnect moments with April, and we were working through some issues. And I really struggled with this assignment. I wanted to tell John, and I wanted to say, you know, I just like to sit, and I just like to listen to other people encourage me how to resolve those issues that still continue to crop up and surface occasionally. And my immediate reaction inside of my heart was embarrassment that a counselor would be struggling with such things in a relationship. Where does the counselor go when he's in trouble? and when things are kind of going the wrong direction. I can sit in my office five days a week and I can look into the eyes of couples and I can resolve or help resolve their issues, but when it comes to really resolving issues in my spouse's heart, it seems to be a little more difficult. Some relationships seem to be compatible And I look at those relationships, and I'm always amazed at how it just seems like they're happy all the time. They never have conflicts. Ours didn't seem to be one of those. Those people don't even seem to have to work at their relationships, or so it seems. And I remember when I came back from, when April and I came back from our our counseling session uh, for a week, that... It was like we passed in from one world to another world, literally, in our relationship. A brand new start, a brand new beginning. And it was an incredible feeling. And for about two years, we lived in that utopia. The Lord truly did give us what I would call a a reprieve for about two years in our relationship. But the Lord knew that we needed that reprieve. He knew that both of our hearts were tired And he knew that we needed that connect time. And then all of a sudden, reality hit. And I realized that we were still broken. I don't like to admit the fact that that we're broken, but the reality of it is, is that that brokenness will remain with us, I think, for the rest of our life until we cross over into glory. Several years ago, my wife came to me and she said to me, she said, I think that you've acquired a belief system that believes that our relationships will come to a point where we'll we'll have it all together and we'll be perfect and we'll never have to work through any issues anymore. And um, after processing that a bit, I, I conceded that that was probably a fairly accurate assessment of my goal. And so when we do disconnect, my perfectionistic mind becomes highly disappointed and even sometimes becomes self-destructive. And so I'd just like to spend a little bit of time this afternoon sharing three points that I believe are important in resolving issues in my spouse's heart. I think the first point that I, that I think is important is that we have to have a goal. And uh, when you grow old, you have to have a goal. And I put a couple pictures up here because I really like uh, 
to visualize what kind of a relationship do I want with my wife when I, when I grow old like this? Are we going to be happy? Are we going to be connected? Are we going to enjoy life? I, I get excited when I'm, when I'm in a shopping mall or something and I see these, these two old people just walking down the mall and they've got their arms around each other. It's just something unique about that. And you expect that in a young couple, but an old couple, well, that's, that's kind of rare. And so this is the goal that I want for my life and I want to adopt that goal. If I don't have a goal, my goal defaults to this. And I don't want this kind of a picture when I'm old. Some, somebody told me after I put this slide up, I dug this off the internet somewhere, and then somebody told me the real story behind this, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, I don't know. But this couple went to Israel, and while they were over there in Israel, um, the wife passed away. And the, um, the dignitaries of the country said, you you have to make a choice here. You can spend uh, $5,000 and we'll ship your wife back to, to America and you can have a normal burial or you can pay us $500 and uh, you can leave her here and we'll, uh, we'll bury her here. And this old fellow scratched his head and he said, uh, after some considerable thought, he said, uh, I'll pay you the $500. Because he said, I remember a story a long time ago when they buried somebody here and three days later he came back to life. I don't know if that story's true, but that's what somebody told me. That couple didn't have a goal, and that couple probably suffered from a lot of things. And so this, this, this afternoon I'm going to suggest that we make a purpose goal to connect and to resolve issues in our spouse's heart. The goal that I'm talking about is not the goal to be financially free. How many children do you want? What do I want to do for an occupation? The goal that I'm talking about is bringing my heart close to my wife's heart and connecting on a regular basis, on a daily basis with my wife. I had never processed a goal up until about 10 years ago, never entered my mind, or oh, maybe in the figment of my imagination, but I never gave it much thought, of what it would look like for my heart to be emotionally close to my wife's heart, let alone anybody's heart. Because I didn't want anybody to see what was inside. I just dismissed that as being a normal part of life. And so... Today, April and I have, uh, I don't know, that we've talked about this. I share it often in my sessions, and I make it a goal. And I don't always hit my goal, but I make it a goal to try to connect with my wife five to ten times during a given 24-hour period. And that doesn't always mean that I spend hours with her, although sometimes we spend a couple of hours just talking about our hearts. Because I want to be emotionally close with her, and I want to stay emotionally close with her. Someone has defined uh, emotional closeness as, let me just skip ahead here, I think I missed a slide. Is intimacy as being into my heart you see. And so that if I'm looking at my wife's heart, and she's looking at my heart, I want to open my heart so that she can see into my heart. And I want to encourage her to open her heart so I can see 
into her heart. And I want to talk in my second point here about what that looks like. My goal is I want to be close, and it needs to be very specific and very defined. It takes a goal to get something done. If I just let it go and I just kind of let it default and I expect to have something better than my parents had, that's probably not going to work. I hear people all the time say, I don't want to have a relationship like my mom and dad. They fought all the time or they never said a word to each other. There was no emotional connection. But if I say to my heart that I want a goal inside to be known, even as I am known, I believe the Lord honors that. Because I'm going to end up just like I intended to, whether I planned it or not, and things begin to happen. There's a proverb here that I picked up some time ago, and I just really like what it says. It says, a wise man chooses his destiny and accepts his road. But the foolish man chooses his road and accepts his destiny. And I look up the word destiny. Destiny means one's fate or one's end. And fate means the final outcome. And so I will choose the destiny of an emotionally close relationship that will provide joy that you get from feeling loved, safe, and understood and that you receive when someone does that likewise. That's what I want my final outcome to be, and I will accept the road that leads me there. That road that leads me there is vulnerability, because we were created to be vulnerable. I got excited about this when I started studying that whole principle out of of, of what it means to be vulnerable. And the fact that it is a part of my design, it's, it's a part of what God breathed into me when he created me in his image, I was created to be vulnerable. And when I started thinking about the vulnerability part of life, I realized something, that in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, you have a perfect picture of vulnerability because there was no fear of pain in the Garden of, uh, of, of Eden. And in the absence of pain, I noticed three things as I studied that. In the absence of pain, vulnerability is a blessing. And in the absence of pain, vulnerability is the way God intended. And in the absence of pain, vulnerability knows no evil. We were created to be vulnerable on three levels as it's laid out in the Garden of Eden. The first level that we were created to be vulnerable on is the level of spirituality. Genesis 2.16, the Bible says that the Lord God commanded man, you are free to eat from the tree or from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And God entrusted man and woman woman, with the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, knowing full well when he did that, that they could injure themselves and they could wound themselves spiritually. But God entrusted man with that choice. That was an incredible act of vulnerability to allow man to mess up what he created to be perfect. There's a second level of vulnerability that I see in the Garden of Eden, and that has to do with the level of being vulnerable on an emotional level. 
Genesis 2.24 gives us a sneak preview of what that looks like. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be united unto his wife. And the Message Bible, I believe, uses the word embraces his wife. That there's an emotional embrace, there's a connection emotionally that causes us to feel vulnerable. And that was God's plan. They embraced each other's hearts and they connected emotionally as they were walking in the garden. There was no need to protect their hearts for they were perfectly at ease to be known because that's the way God created it. And then, of course, there's that second or that third level, the physical vulnerability. Genesis 3.24 says, And the two shall become one flesh, and they were naked and knew no shame. And so God wove into our DNA into the satisfaction of man, he wove into us this very important concept that we are comfortable to be known even as we were known. We were born to be known. We were born to be free. We were created with nothing hidden. And then one day, sin happened and man lost all of that vulnerability. And so to feel completely safe while we're so unprotected is, I believe, the plan that God had in the garden, and I believe our lives continue to try to get back to the Garden of Eden because that was God's design. It's like God said, I have a plan for you that you will be at your very best when you are 100% vulnerable, when I feel safe, loved, and accepted, and so few people get to live like that because they don't know how to create it or to allow the Lord to create it. And they end up living self-focused, self-protected, disconnected lifestyles, which is a very bad, sad experience. In the Garden of Eden, we have understanding, accepting, and caring for one another, and it was perfect. There was no desperation in the heart of man to know God, for God was there. He walked in the garden with man. He communicated with man in the cool of the evening And there was no need for Adam to hide his heart from Eve. He openly embraced her as his helpmate. There was no shame from their naked. It was holy and right. And it wasn't until sin entered that they lost that vulnerability. And shame and pain entered relationships. And so if we're going to get close in relationship, there needs to be a plan. When you have a plan, I can build on that plan because that plan allows for purpose. And I can impact many generations. I can impact my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren if I have a plan. If I don't have a plan, my life and my relationship is directed by my hurts and not by my heart. At least a, a whole heart. I believe Eden is calling us back to that emotional connection that Jesus designed from the beginning. And I want to share something about my relationship with my wife. Most of my, most of my courtship, most of my life, I spent a lot of time hiding emotionally from the issues within my heart. A lot of the things that I struggled with I hadn't shared with anyone um, in any, any, any in-depth way at all uh, and, and, and really hadn't even mentioned it. And even with my wife, after a three-and-a-half-year relationship with her, looking back, I, um, 
I'm embarrassed to say that I don't think we even got to square one when it comes to connecting emotionally and me understanding who she was. I never got close. Not because I didn't want to, but because I didn't know how to. And then we got married one day. And um, on our honeymoon, two or three days into our honeymoon, I decided to, for the first time in my life, become vulnerable. And I shared some things with April that I had never shared with anyone about my own immorality and things that I had hid. And in a moment of time, the closeness that we may have felt on our, honey, or on our wedding day and those first few moments of our honeymoon where we were close like this slide shows, in a moment of time, things changed and we moved. She went one way and I went another. And it was so, so confusing to me. I thought that if I would share my heart with my wife and I would be honest with my wife that she would come close to me and instead she ran away. And when she ran away, I made a commitment inside of my heart. I would never, ever be vulnerable in this relationship again. And I closed my heart even tighter on our honeymoon because my heart said to me, if that's what it means to be vulnerable, I will never open my heart again because I paid for the next 25 years in my perspective. My wife has a different perspective. And so my goal for the next 25 years was to try to create a safe distance emotionally from my spouse. How much distance do I need from you to protect myself so that I don't get hurt? Sometimes it was less and sometimes it was more. But generally the feeling was, I hope we never bump into each other emotionally. I hope I don't have to do anything that steps on your pain. In fact, I'll watch out that I don't. And I hope that I never have to see a reaction that causes me pain. You see, if I don't have a goal to be intentionally close emotionally, my goal will default to I have to protect myself all the days of my life. And the real goal in most relationships is to get as far away from our spouse's hearts as I possibly can and still stay married. I have had to come to a place in my life with the Lord's help, and I'm still moving in that direction, that the Lord Jesus becomes so close to me and so much a part of my life and me so much a part of his that I truly in my heart believe that love is worth dying for. That I am willing to lay my heart and my life down on this mountain of self-sacrifice and I am going to practice vulnerability on every level. But this comes at a pretty expensive cost. Because there are times in my heart when I just feel like I'm going to die. It's like a sink or live kind of a situation in those moments of disconnect. Because once my heart is open and once I become vulnerable and we start to hurt each other, it hurts so much worse than when my heart is closed. 
and my heart is safe. But when I open my heart to my wife, and I am vulnerable, and she opens her hearts to mine, and we step on each other, it becomes very much of an intense battle. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think we all get there at times. The feelings are like this. I I can't believe this is such a big deal. I I didn't see this coming. How, How do we get so stuck? This feels like it's time to abandon the ship and say, run! But then I discover something, that when I understand that I've experienced what it's like to be created in God's image, and I understand what it means to be truly vulnerable in his protection and in his arms, that creating a loving, intimate relationship with my wife, yes, can be a lot of work, but it's a whole lot worse when I don't follow the plan. It's a whole lot more miserable. It's impossible for two selfish locked hearts to feel or to be connected emotionally on this level. But when you experience connection, it is just so pleasant. And I found that disconnection is much more difficult than connection when you really think about the amount of energy that's spent in trying to stay distant. Until we're connected again, everything is going to be 100 times harder. And so my goal is to strive, is to come back as close as I possibly can. And once we get that connection back, there is a revival that happens in, your, in every situation. All of a sudden, it doesn't seem as impossible as it once did. It's like we keep these great secrets from each other in our relationship. And we with practice, we practice intentionally and sometimes unintentionally withholding important information from each other that I need to have for my wife and she needs to have for me so that I can process wholly in my heart. And sometimes the best kept secrets in, in a relationship is, is five words. I love you very much. I, I am so excited to be married to you. And we do crazy things to get our spouse to, to say those kinds of words and the commitment and the plan just to be honest and to be open and to, and, and, and to let our hearts be vulnerable is the best plan. Because I'm at my worst behavior when I'm feeling scared, when I'm feeling shamed, and when I'm feeling rejected. And so it's important to know how to make those connections and to make those connections work. And I think I've got my slides kind of messed up here. There's a second um, slip ahead here. There's a second goal that I have in uh, my relationship, and that is that I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to choose to be authentic. To be authentic is to be willing to acknowledge how things really are inside of my heart and to be honest about who I really am. It's one of the scriptures that I used this morning is in David's uh, confession when he talked about to the Lord and his confession said, Surely, Lord, you desire honesty on my innermost parts because where there is no honesty, our lives are directed again by hurts and not by the wholeness of our hearts. And so I was thinking about this, and I, and I borrow some of this information, but I was thinking about this in relationship, and there's three levels of, of, of talking to my wife that I'd like to just specifically suggest to you today. And there's this level, it's called the superficial level, is what I'm going to call the superficial level in communicating with my wife. It's the level that basically sounds like this in the morning. 
how are you doing? And the candid answer sometimes is, I'm blessed. Or praise the Lord. How do you feel? Well, I'm fine. How can, well, uh, what can I do for you today? Nothing. Did you sleep well last night? Yep. Do you want to read the paper? Nope. Maybe the business section. Do you want coffee? Yep. And we have those kinds of conversations sometimes, and they're superficial. They're elementary, and sometimes we, sometimes couples live in that superficial level. But then there's another level, and that's what I'm going to call uh, level two. That's when we start to exchange facts. I get caught in this level more often than I want to admit. By the way, in this level, it's when two people start to show up. The superficial level, uh, nobody shows up. We're just, we're just talking. But in this level, two people show up. And there's immediate conflict in this level. Because there's going to be conflict because there's two people here. There's a male and there's a female and we're very different. And the moment you express your idea and your opinions, we got us a conflict. I think we should go to this place to eat. No, I think we should go to this place to eat or whatever that issue might be. And people start moving in all kinds of different directions when you start to express ideas. When you start to express facts. This doesn't get you to, and I'm not saying it's not important sometimes to talk about this, but this does not get you to an emotional connection that cares about each other's hearts. In fact, I've noticed two things about this level of communication, and this is what they are. The first is that I do not value what I do not agree with. When my wife doesn't agree with my idea of something, I just don't value that. I can choose to value that, but the default setting is I don't value that idea. The second thing I notice is that I do not value what I do not understand. It doesn't make any sense to me, so I don't value that, and I stop right there. And oftentimes what happens is in that situation is you find something you don't understand, and you say, that's just so stupid that you feel that way. Or Not too long we're arguing again and trying to change that person's perspective. And these are the doors that most of us get stuck at and we can't get through. And this level, if you stay here long enough, will eventually kick me back to a level one superficial relationship. And we say something like this, "Eh, whatever you say, whatever, just do it. And it never allows us to drop to the third level. I think this is the level that John refers to a lot when he talks about connecting with my heart. And that's where I'm expressing Emotion. I'm expressing feelings. Communicate feelings is an incredibly an important tool in my relationship because it focuses on communication that feels. I feel rejected. I feel judged. I need to be accepted. I need to feel approved. This is really what I need from you. And if I don't tell you, you may think I'm fine if I don't need that stuff. I really need to feel honored or if I'm asking myself, my spouse those questions, I need to feel protected. If I don't tell my spouse, I don't know and I have to guess. And so I want to make a safe place for April to express her feeling and I want to ask. And sometimes we go a long time and all of a sudden I realize we haven't talked about feelings. 
we live it all the time, but we, we really haven't talked about that. We haven't conversed. And then I noticed something about myself. It's so, so difficult in this vulnerable state to, to admit feeling in my own heart, genuinely, realistically. Especially guys. You ask a guy um, what he's feeling, and he'll say, I don't know. And I remember my wife asking me that when we were dating. She said, so what's going on inside? And I would say, nothing. I, I didn't want to go to that level. If I'm in a frustrated frame of mind and she asks me that question and I'll say, I guess I feel mad. To which I might, she might respond, are you mad or are you sad? Or are you hurt? No, I'm just mad. Well, are you really hurt or are you scared? No, I'm just angry. And then I realize that anger is a reaction to feeling powerless. I'm not in control. So powerless is really hurt or feeling scared. But it just feels so weird to say, I'm scared. And yet when I'm willing to be vulnerable in those areas, somehow my wife catches a glimpse of that and likewise when my wife will just say to me, you know, I, I just don't feel heard. And some of the easiest ways that I, that, I, that I miss her heart, and I would have never thought that I even came close to not hearing her, but she's expressing feeling, I don't feel heard. Men and women in relationship are struggling to tell the truth about what is happening in their heart, and this always kicks us back to a level one, but it's a very, very expensive way to go. Some time ago, I, um, I was studying, and I got a glimpse of this whole concept a little bit deeper in my own life and how difficult it is for me to really be vulnerable, and when things are going well, it's just easier just to not stir the pot. It's an old habit. Get busy with things. But April and I were going along and we, came, we got into this little rut where I wasn't checking in like I should have been checking in with her every day emotionally. I became involved in work at the office and things were going great really in our relationship. She was happy to greet me when I came in in the evening and we talked and we had good conversation. But I really wasn't checking in with her heart. We weren't fighting, and there was, seemed to be peace. And then all of a sudden one day, and this is usually how it happens, all of a sudden one day, either I do something or she does something, and it trips a whole load of things. And at this particular day, I happened to come in from the office a half an hour late. Now, if you understand neglect, that means I'm damaged because somebody hasn't paid attention to my heart. And just one day... I was a half an hour late from when I should have been in, and I came in the door, and something was wrong. And all of a sudden, we get all the secrets in our hearts in one dump truck load because we haven't practiced the option of being vulnerable with one another. Problem started a long time ago when I failed to check in with April and ask how her heart was and what was going on in her heart on a specific time frame and just assuming that everything was fine. 
Let me just share another example going my way where one evening I came in and was about the time when I was getting serious about being vulnerable and I was kind of excited about what that would look like in our relationship. So I came in one evening and I think it was maybe around this time and I said to my wife, I, I had um, come into the, to the kitchen there and I said, I, I would just like to, uh, to tell you that I, that, I, that I want to make a commitment to be vulnerable. I said, uh, where's your heart? And she looked at me, and she had this funny grin, and she said, I think she said something like, I want to see what that looks like. In other words, you go first. And I was serious about my commitment, so I said, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable. And there was a couple of days later when I was, uh, and I don't remember what the issue was. I just remember that there was some issue came up with my daughter who works in my office as a secretary, and her and I disagreed on something, and we didn't argue, but... Apparently, she felt bad because I was putting pressure on her to do something and didn't realize the significance of it. She left, and I didn't even think there, I didn't even know there was an issue. And she went into the house, and, and when I come into the house that evening, there was my wife, and there was my two oldest daughters, and they were having this discussion. And I soon realized that that discussion was about me. This was like two days after I had committed to be vulnerable. And it's like the Lord always tests your commitment. And I remember this incredible feeling in my heart, this incredible strong sense. And it was so strong it almost overpowered me where I just, I just wanted to shut down. I mean, I just, I, just, I just totally wanted to shut down and walk away. But this is where the rubber meets the road. And I walked up to my wife and I said to my wife, I said, I still want to be vulnerable I don't remember what all I said. But then I realized that there was, there was a need for me just to, just to allow the situation to be for a moment. And I just, simply, I just simply walked away, not because I was irritated, but I needed some time with the Lord just to process. Because in my heart, I was just feeling so, so ashamed of the fact that here I made this commitment and the enemy tested that. And I just remember... Going down, I have a little, little hobby farm, and I was going down, and I got myself uh, into my farm clothes, and I was, I was making the trip from my house to my little barn, and it was just like this little whisper, this whisper from the Lord. It was very simple. It was just something like this. I will protect you. I will cover your head. I will make a safe place for you. And... It was just kind of like a connect with Jesus that I, I remember I started singing some song and, 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 and then there was another whisper that came my way and the second whisper said, now go share with your wife what I told you. And that was a little more tough. I said, Lord, really? I'm going to share with my wife that I'm still going to be vulnerable and, and that this is, this is a difficult situation to be in. And, and he said, yeah, just share it with your wife. And so I just remember going and just telling April, what all happened there? And I don't remember all that, 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 that came out of that, but I just remember that there was a reconnecting that went on because I was willing to be vulnerable and open my heart and to realize that the Lord was bigger, the Lord was more powerful than all of those issues that I was trying to protect my heart, and he wanted me to focus on her. I was working with a case, another case, and I just find it so incredibly interesting that anything like this could even remotely happen. But 
was a case of a, of a couple that were in their, um, actually quite old, they were in their 60s, I believe, and for some of you that might sound bad, but I'm quite not there yet. They came into my office and they were pretty disconnected and uh, I wasn't sure what was, what was going on inside. Spent some time with both of them just kind of getting their, their life history and I remember at one point, um, and they had told me that they were high school sweethearts. They had dated, they wanted to marry each other, but mom and dad wouldn't allow them to do that. And then after a failed first marriage, they had got together and they reconnected. And she had written a little note to me before uh, they came in, and it was in her application packet, and she had mailed it back to me. And she asked me in that note, she said, please don't dig up old wounds in our relationship. And that if after reviewing their tests and the application, I didn't think that they needed to spend a week with me, that she would be really happy if I would just give the week to someone else that was more needier than them. Not long into the case, it became clear to me that there were issues that had never been addressed. And underneath all of those issues were emotional, was an emotional disconnect in the relationship that had never been connected because there was no vulnerability. There was no plan. But neither was there fighting. There was no talking. There was no connecting. And she told her story, and he told his story. And in this story, it came up that they hadn't slept together in the same bed for 17 years. And her reason was that the fan that he had to have to sleep was too loud and would keep her awake. And at some point in her story, she addressed an extramarital affair that her husband had had, which she cited as a case of infidelity with her husband, in which she cited the place and the time it took place that he had never admitted in his story. And it became apparent to me that he was visibly agitated as she was telling this story. And I noticed his uneasiness, and I explained to him that I had seen his frustration and that I would give him an opportunity to talk in a moment. And as I gave the floor to this older man, he broke down emotionally, and in a few minutes of time, he told her that he had never had a physical relationship with this woman and that it had all been a setup by the woman's husband and that he had not been able to convince her, so he decided just not to talk about it anymore. And for 17 years, they had lived in a disconnected state. And it was the most moving case as I took those two people to prayer. And it ended up very good, but in that moment I thought, an emotional connection is something that does not happen automatically for anyone regardless of how compatible or incompatible we are. Connection is something that has to be on purpose. It doesn't just happen. And left to default, I disconnect without trying. There's a last point that I'd like to just make today. And that is that if I'm going to care for the heart of my spouse, I have to cooperate with Jesus and become emotionally mature. It's important for me to understand what God's part is and what my part is. God's part is all of those things that have to do with the redemptive areas of my heart. Salvation, sanctification, deliverance, healing, spiritual adoption, all of, those, all of those things that Jesus wants to give with me, that's God's part in this healing process. 
of my heart becoming healthy. Redemption is God bringing good out of bad, leading us to wholeness and the experience of God's amazing power, and most of you have witnessed that. Redemption means that out of our greatest pain come most of our most profound personal missions in life. But there's another part that I think sometimes we get things kind of plugged in backwards and somehow we feel like God's just going to zap us. And somehow there's going to be this transformation that I'm, that I'm going to be free and I never, I never have to do anything. And I think that's our part. And that is that we must mature ourselves by the choices that I make in my relationships. God is certainly instrumental in guiding and blessing my maturity But we must mature ourselves. It is our job bestowed upon us way back in the Garden of Eden. Maturity is not a spiritual gift nor a byproduct of salvation. It is necessarily necessarily something that happens automatically. It is something that we must work our our entire lives to make good choices so that God can do his part. My life with my wife becomes much more productive when we let God run his part and we take responsibility to mature our own hearts. I just want to leave with you just a, um, just a challenge that I have just been working on in my life. And that is when I have conversations with Jesus, when I have those moments with Jesus throughout the day, not just putting Jesus at the top of my day where I give him a half an hour, but I invite him into every aspect of my day, every moment, every minute. I put him in the middle. And I just love going to bed at night just, just having conversation with Jesus, just, just with my heart and his heart. And I often say to Jesus, Jesus, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. When I grow up, I want to be just like you. And so, as I'm relating to my wife, I really want to be like Jesus. And I want Jesus to just touch those parts of my heart that want to react that want to retaliate and just be willing to die on that mountain of self-sacrifice the way Jesus died on the mountain of self-sacrifice for me. And I don't think I can really effectively, efficiently care for the needs of my spouse until I really understand what that love looks like flowing from his heart to my heart. And to open my heart and to receive that inside of my heart so that I can give it to my spouse. And you know, men, I just want to challenge you that I think, I think the Lord Jesus wants us to lead our wives with strong hands, with strong arms. He wants us to lead our wives the way he wants to lead me. He wants me to lead my wife. And I want Jesus to just implant in my heart a picture of what it, likes, what it looks like to lead with strong arms. Because I notice something in my wife. When I, when I express those kinds of sentiments to my wife, honey, I just want to lead you with strong hands that Jesus gives me. There's a heart inside of my wife that just gets real soft. And I want to be aware 
of all of those issues. Uh, my, April and I, I'm just going to share, this isn't in my script, but April and I have done some things that I have never done before in our relationship. In fact, I would have been too embarrassed to do this probably 20 years ago, but instead of praying with my wife, we actually have spent time leading each other in prayer. That is an incredible experience. Now, the unfortunate part of that is, is that I usually have to do that when, or she usually has to do this, and it goes both ways when we're in what I would call total lockdown. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. But I think out of that, out of those experiences has come some incredible, meaningful, caring, connecting relationships. And I would just challenge you, men, to take that initiative. That in those moments of disconnect, when things aren't going, if I know my wife's core issue, and I've spent lots of time thinking about my wife's heart, thinking about the damage inside, we're going to share our testimony in a couple of days, maybe tomorrow, I'm not sure, but I have framed in my heart a picture of what my, heart, what my wife's heart looks like. And if I keep that picture in front of my eyes, it's a neglected little girl's heart. And I realize that every action that comes out of her heart is a manifestation of unresolved pain inside. And my focus is not to condemn, but to bring that heart close. 95% of the conflict in our relationship goes away. If I know how to lead my wife in effective prayer, and uh, just want to challenge you, to do that with your spouse if you haven't done that and allow the Lord to, to finish the work that he started in your lives. Thank you for listening today. You're dismissed.